0: All right, if you're turning with me, we're in Malachi 3, and I'm going to start in verse 1. And today, I want to talk to you about something really important, something that that God's been laying on my heart. And I really didn't know this was the message until later in the week. And I told Jesse, I was like, because I've been working on something else. And, And then, really, a good bit later in the week, God kind of laid this on me really hard. And so I wasn't thinking it was the message, but it is... So today, don't miss this. I want to talk to you about something that's very important. I want to talk to you about waiting. Wasn't that a nice, annoying, long pause? Waiting. And you know, really, as a society, we don't like to wait. Wait. Right, we'll quit going to a fast food restaurant because it wasn't fast enough. Oh, man, for fast food, they're just slow. I don't—I honestly don't have 15 minutes to get lunch, and we don't like waiting on anything. Really, we like everything to be fast. And and if you go, you know, as I was studying for this message, and I was looking up all different things as I normally do and reading different studies and things and. There's a lot of studies that point to the fact that this problem is not getting better. It's getting worse with technology and with our smartphones and everything that we have at our fingertips and, and Amazon, and we can just order our grocery order and then pull up and pick it up. And, and so it's getting worse and worse and worse. And you would think like the idea of technology is so that things would get easier, things wouldn't take as long and we would have more time to rest. We would have more time to Sabbath and more time to spend with our kids because we're not having to waste all this time. That's not what happens. We're just able to do more. So we can get busier and have more worry and more anxiety and we we don't have patience, which is a fruit of the Spirit. And so if we're intimate with the Spirit, we should be producing the fruit of the Spirit. And patience is a fruit of the Spirit. But if we can't wait, then that means we don't have much of that fruit in our lives. So that's what I want to talk about for a few minutes and just how as a society, we don't like waiting. Um, And I believe that patience is a superpower. It's not a really fun one. They're probably not going to make a Marvel movie about Captain Patience. It's kind kind of nerdy. Captain Patience. I'm probably not even going to go see that one. But... It is a superpower. If you've got patience, it can enable you to be very powerful in the spirit. It can enable you to be a very powerful example. Here's how impatient we are. Experts estimate that Amazon would lose $1.6 billion, with a B. $1.6 billion a year. If its homepage loaded one second slower than it does, that's how impatient we've become as a site, as a society. One point six billion dollars a year if their homepage loaded one second slower than it does, people would just be like, "Ah, never mind, it's not worth it." That forget about whatever you were, I mean, that tells me what you were trying to order from Amazon. It probably wasn't that important if you're willing to give up on it in 1 second but that's how impatient we've become and as christians that's not what we're supposed to look like so i want you to think about this before we before we start diving into some scriptures patience is not waiting patience is how you act when you are waiting I think that, that can help you right there. Patience is not waiting. Patience is how you act when you are waiting. What are you doing in the waiting? Because it matters. And we're about to see that and we can look at, there were so many Bible examples of this, like I had to narrow it down some because there's pretty much everyone, every person that God used in a big way had to wait. They had to have Patience. They had to work in the wait, too. Patience is how you act when you are waiting. You know, Moses waited 40 years. 40 years from when he knew that that God had called him. Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph when God gave him the dream and he he was so excited about what God was doing in his life and he came to his brothers and he said, here's the dream. Here's what God's going to do. God's going to use me as a Savior. And then guess what? 13 years passed. And most of those 13 years, he was in prison. The rest of those times, he was a slave. 13 years he waited to see one little piece of what God had promised, the dreams that God had placed inside of him, his ultimate purpose and call, right? That's the end. That's where we want to get. That's what we want to see. Like, God, where are all these big things that you've placed in my heart and my soul? And why, where? Joseph waited 13 years. Abraham waited 20 years to see Isaac, where God said, I'm going to give you a son. And God gave him all these promises about how many kids and what his descendants would do and be. And There'd be so many, you can't even number them, and they had to wait 20 years. And in the middle of that 20 years, he tried to take matters into his own hands. And that didn't work out too good. Caused a lot of heartache and grief. Remember, he had Ishmael with his wife's servant. What about David? Er, David? Samuel showed up to David's house and went through all his brothers and Samuel poured the anointing oil and he anointed David and said, you are the king of Israel. Awesome. David was a teenage boy at that time. You're the king of Israel. You know how long it was before he put on that crown and got to sit on the throne? 20 years. 20 years. You feel like you've been waiting a long time for some things. Are there some things in your life that you feel like God said to you or things that God placed in your heart or ministries and passions and desires and calling? And what about hopes and visions that you would see your children do amazing things for God and you just hadn't seen it yet? Or right, we've probably all got different things. David waited 20 years. The children of Israel, where we're going to look at the story today, they went 400 years without hearing from God. That's a long wait. That's a long time. At the end, we're going to read right here, at the end of Malachi was like the last time that they got to hear from God. And in Malachi, he's again prophesying, just like all the other prophets had prophesied about Jesus who was to come. The Messiah will come. And then there was a 400-year wait until your New Testament starts. Silence. God wasn't speaking through the prophets or doing it. So why? God, I thought we are your people. I thought you were sending a Messiah. Where are you at? Why are we waiting? 400 years. People are born. They grow up. They die. They're born. They grow up. That generation after generation. Where are you at, God? Malachi 3, verse 1. Look, I'm sending my messenger on ahead to clear the way for me. Suddenly, out of the blue, the leader you've been looking for will enter his temple. He's saying, clear the way. Yes, the messenger of the covenant the one you've been waiting for look he's on his way a message from the mouth of god of the angel armies and then it was 400 years of silence of waiting god send the messiah god there's oppression from the romans god there where are you at where, where's the messiah you said he was coming You told us through the prophet Malachi. There was no words from God for 400 years. I'm sure you've felt like that before. Probably not for 400 years, but. You ever prayed to God and then felt like you didn't get an answer? You ever cried out to God for a certain person or a situation or something you're going through or or direction for your life or and it's like god hello where you at and and then you felt like god was silent like he didn't answer you in your time when you thought he should i have you need to know or be reminded today that he never stops working so even if you're not hearing god he's working Right, he's working behind the scenes. So even, like the psalm says, even when I can't see it, He's working. He's, beh- he's behind the scenes. He's working. Galatians 4.4 says this. But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law. That when the time had fully come, it's translated um, different in different different translations. And that's actually two words. The time had fully come. It's two Greek words that were translated there. Um, and it means at the perfect time. So it's saying at the perfect time, God sent Jesus. At the perfect time, God sent the Messiah. And it also means... Um, at the perfect time like a woman giving birth she gave birth at the perfect time right so when she starts having contractions and her water breaks and she's going into labor there's nothing you can do to stop it that baby's coming right you could try to slow it down you could try to, but it's coming cuz it is the time it's supposed to come You try to stop it, good luck. It's not going to happen. You're not going to stop it. It's coming. If you try to make it happen early, that's not good. Things can happen that aren't good early. You don't don't want it to come early. Why? Because the baby's not ready. The mama's body's not ready. Things aren't prepared. You, You don't want it to come early at the perfect time. Those were the two Greek words that were used there. But it's describing when Jesus came. When our Messiah showed up. When he was placed in Mary, the Virgin. At the perfect time. When it's time, you can't stop it. And it's not good to force it early. It was the perfect time in history. Wait, why was it the perfect time in history? How was that the perfect time? Why did they have to wait 400 years? Why after all that they had been through and they came out of slavery and they went through all this stuff, why was that the perfect time when when Jesus was actually placed in Mary after 400 years of silence? Here are just a few reasons of why it was the perfect time we find in history. Alexander the Great, you ever heard of him? He was alive and around in those 400 years. Um, and and for the first time in history, there was a common language, the Greek language. Because he was Greek, that was his language. And so every city that he conquered, he set up Greek-speaking people. And he required that people in those cities would learn Greek, was speaking, or at least had a way to understand Greek. Had translators in every city and every town Number two, it was during this time that the Old Testament, the Torah, with all the prophecies about the Messiah to come, it was translated into Greek around 280 B.C. So that was in the middle of that 400 years that the Bible, the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament up to that point, the Torah, was actually translated into Greek so that... Everyone was able to read or to hear the prophecies about Jesus or the Messiah that was to come. See, God was working. The third thing, uh, the Socratic method. You may have heard of it, it was a new way of learning that was introduced. People were encouraged to ask questions. And for the first time in history, it wasn't a one-way learning system. You were allowed to ask questions. Up until this way was introduced, you couldn't ask questions. You were just told by somebody smarter than you how it was and what it was, and that was it. For government, religion, everything. So during this time, this new way was introduced and People were then told you can ask questions to learn. It's a new way of learning. You're allowed to question things. You're allowed to question the way things are. Oh, wait, we can ask questions? Fourth thing. In 63 BC, the Romans conquered the Greeks. So the Romans took over. The Romans conquered the Greeks. And it was a very unusually peaceful time in history. Nobody wanted to fight the Romans, so war ceased. They had no more war. They were all at peace. So instead of war, the Romans focused on building roads and highways and transportation like had never been seen before to where you could travel from town to town, city to city. They came up with different ways of chariots and all different ways of communication and transportation, ways to communicate through ships and horses and all different things like that. So more than ever, you could travel around the world. You could travel to different cities. Because up until that point, you didn't travel further like where you were born. You didn't travel more than maybe a mile away from where you were born. But the Romans were changing all that fifth and last thing is it's known as dysphoria, and it, is, it was where the Jews were forbidden from living in Jerusalem because the Romans took over and they said, hey, we're not going to have a whole city full of Jews, and it's in Jerusalem where all God's people lived and all the Jews tried to go back and live in Jerusalem, and they said no. The Jews were forbidden from living in Jerusalem and God's people were dispersed all over the world, forced to go into all different cities and all different places and all around, spread around. So there are Jews that know the prophecies of the coming Messiah in all different places. And now there's transportation and communication. And the Old Testament Torah has been translated into Greek so everybody has a chance so now when Jesus shows up, it's actually possible for the world to hear about the Son of God. 400 years earlier, when Malachi was prophesying that, if Jesus would have shown up, it would have been virtually impossible. The Egyptians and the Greeks and the Romans, and the, there's no way. They didn't even speak the same language. There would be a war if you threw some Jews here and there. Like, but at the perfect time, God sent his son. Now, for the first time in history, it was possible for God's gift to reach the world at just the right time. My question for you today is what will you do while you wait? Because God's behind the scenes working, God's preparing things, God's getting things ready, God's moving things and setting up governments and pulling down governments and doing all these things. But what will you do in the waiting? There are a lot of people that got to be a big part of God's story when it came around, but it's because of what they were doing in the waiting. And you get to choose what you do in the waiting. Sometimes I'm waiting on God to give me a message for Sunday, like studying or sitting in my office and reading the Bible, and I'm praying, like, God, what is it? What am I supposed to preach about this week? And I'm waiting on God to give me a message. But that doesn't mean I'm doing nothing. Right? I, that doesn't mean because if I if you see me on Friday and I say, I'm still waiting on God to give me the message for Sunday, that doesn't mean I've just been lazy all week and I hadn't been like seeking. That doesn't mean I hadn't been studying and reading and digging and asking counsel of people. Hey, what's God speaking to you? Hey, like so waiting doesn't mean I'm just laying around doing nothing. You can be working your butt off and waiting. Stepping in obedience and doing what God's calling you to do and seeking, seeking. Jesus said, seek and you will find. But he didn't say when you will find. I wish he would have said, seek for 37 minutes and then you will find. And then at least I would know, right? Oh, I'm at 36 and a half. I'm about to find. Now, he didn't give us a time. He just said, seek and you'll find. Well, when am I going to find? Keep seeking. Keep searching. It's more about the journey and the relationship than it is about the treasure that you will find. Seek. Keep looking. So waiting doesn't mean doing nothing. Look at Isaiah 40, verse 27. Isaiah 40, verse 27. God doesn't come and go. God lasts. He's creator of all you can see or imagine. He doesn't get tired out. He doesn't pause to catch his breath. And he knows everything inside and out. He energizes those who get tired. He gives fresh strength to the dropouts. For even young people tire and drop out. Young folk in their prime, they stumble and fall. But those who wait, those who wait upon God, They get fresh strength. They spread their wings and they soar like eagles. They run and they don't get tired. They walk and they don't lag behind. But how do you run? How do you fly like an eagle? How do you walk or even take a step and not grow weary? The prophet Isaiah tells us here that you wait. Well, that makes no sense. How do I fly? On wings like an eagle. How do I run and wait? I'm going to fly. No, I'm going to wait. I'm going to fly. No. The word that was translated there, that was a Hebrew word. It was translated wait. Listen to what this word wait means. This Hebrew word that God's people would have known. Wait. It means to hope in. To be gathered. To hope for. To look for. To wait It is to be gathered together, gathered, the gathering, connected, to look for, to wait patiently. Oh, that's what we're doing right now. They that wait, they that gather, they that are connected, they that wait, they that look and hope and gather. That's what church is. We gather together, and then we look for God, and we hope. That's waiting. We're waiting on Him to come through and do the big things that He's laid on our hearts for us together and us as individuals. And as we gather together and we connect together and we look for Him and we hope, we're connected, and we wait. We get fresh strength. We begin to spread our wings and soar like eagles. We run and we don't get tired. They walk and they don't lag behind. You see, God is more interested in your purpose than your comfort. I'm just tired of waiting. I just kind of like to walk into all that He has for me. And I just want everything that you said I was going to have, God. I know I felt like that too but if you're not ready for it it could destroy you it will destroy you if you can't handle it but they that wait and gather and hope and learn and grow and prepare and train they that wait he'll refresh you Jesus said come to me and I'll give you rest why does God make me wait I'm ready to go why do you make your little kid wait to drive a car? Now well, I'm ready. They can't handle it. Well, what if they ask you real nice and say, please? Still, no. Um, you don't have a license. There's a reason, there's a certain age. And I mean, some of y'all, you're old enough to have a license, and you're still not the um, safest, greatest drivers. What happened when your little kid wants a driver's license? And, but, Dad, you said I could drive your truck, and you can drive my truck. When you are mature enough and grown enough to handle the power of my truck. But right now, you've not studied, you've not passed the test, you're not of an age that I think you could handle that power. And, and that's me, an earthly father, talking about an earthly child. The same as God. When I look back at some of the things I've prayed and begged God for and said, God, but you said you were going to give me power, God. You said you were going to, you were going to give me influence, God. You said that you were going to grow my church. You said, and God's like, I am. I'm going to need you to grow up a little bit first. right? You, you, you'd wreck it if I gave it to you right now. You, you'd run it into a tree, and that wouldn't be good for you or the truck. So I need you to wait. What do I do in the waiting? Just sit here and twiddle my thumbs? No, grow up.
1: There's a whole lot of things you can do
0: in the waiting to grow up. Right? To get mature, to get stronger, to handle the things that you're asking for. You can study. So that you can pass the test. Usually... God gives you a waiting room right after he gives you a big dream. God will give you a big calling or a big dream, just like he did Joseph or David or all these Bible characters. He'll give you this big, huge dream, something massive, crazy, exciting. God will give you this big dream, and then he sticks you in a waiting room. Yay! I'm going to step into this dream tomorrow. And God's like, no, you're not ready tomorrow. Well, then why don't you tell me about it? Why didn't you just wait until I could step into it? Because I need you to go ahead and prepare. It's going to take you some time to get ready. So I need you to take this excitement and use that as energy, as motivation to obey me. Because I'm trying to take you somewhere. The waiting room, or you could call it a proving season, or proving grounds One of the most dangerous things that God could do is put you in your destiny when you're not prepared for it. It would crush you and your faith. But God is such a good and smart Father that He wants to make sure when you arrive at your destination that you can actually fulfill your destiny. Look at Isaiah 64.4. since ancient times no one no one has heard no ear has perceived no eye has seen any god besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him so god acts on behalf of those that wait on him what does that mean Like I mentioned with old Abraham, remember, God gave him a dream and a promise. And then instead of waiting on God and preparing, he decided to take matters into his own hands. And you know what? It's not really what God said. It's it's not really what I need to do, but I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And God said I was going to have a kid, so maybe he didn't mean with Sarah because she's old. So what I'm going to do is go make something happen with a handmaid. And you start trying to make things happen. This says that God acts on behalf of those who wait on Him. And God, I'm going to keep doing what I need to do. I'm going to keep stepping out in obedience, and and I'm going to wait on you. I'm not going to try to make it happen in my strength or something that I can figure out. Hebrews 10, 36. For ye have need of patience. That after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Patience. You have need of patience. That after you have done the will of God, then you receive the promise. We get that backwards. We're like, hey God, give me the promise. Hey God, give me all the stuff. Hey God, give me the promised land. God, give me the houses and the cars. Give me the... Financial stability and and then then I'm going to walk in obedience, right? And then I'm going to do what you want me to do. And God's like, no, I need you to do my will. And then you receive the promise. The NIV says um, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. You know, it used to really impress me when somebody had the faith or the vision, the guts, the boldness, whatever you want to call it, to start something new, to step out and start a new ministry or step into a battle or a business or a marriage, something new. But now in my old age and in my wisdom, it's far more important or more impressive to me to see someone that has stood this test of time. It is a lot more important to me to see somebody that's, that's able to wait. That's able to keep obeying even when they hadn't seen it. Right? That's, that's able to say, hey God, this is what you called me to do. I will not be found wanting. I'll be ready put me in the game coach i've been in the weight room when you're ready i'm ready let's go i thought i would have been a starter by now but i'm not going to quit working out because i trust the coach i trust the father that when it's my time he's going to put me in the game and i better be ready don't quit don't stop Act like every lap is your last one, even when there seems to be no progress. Remember God told the children of Israel when they were going to go and take the promised land and they walked over and there was Jericho and God's like march around it and every day they're marching around this thing and nothing's happening. There's this waiting game and they're doing what God told them them to do. They're waiting on the walls to fall, but what does waiting look like? It looks like obedience, A lot of times waiting just looks like obeying God, even though we don't see anything happening. We might not see results, but waiting looks like walking around that wall and on the sixth time around. And when nothing's happened, it's like, uh, hello. We're waiting on you to do something, God. We're doing everything that we can do. And now we wait on you. We wait on you to do what we can't do. But don't stop doing what you can do. Just wait. Even if you're going slow, that's okay. You're still lapping the millions of people that are doing nothing. David waited for 13 years from the time he was anointed, he wasn't ready. He was just a boy, right? We, we saw when he went to fight Goliath that they tried to put the king's armor on him. They tried to put Saul's armor on him, and it didn't even fit him. He was just a boy. He wasn't ready to carry that. He went through a lot to get him ready. Remember the prodigal son? Give me my inheritance now. I don't want to wait. I want it now. Give me all that you have for me, Dad. Father, give me everything that you have for me. And guess what? What would have been a blessing was not a blessing because he got it before he was ready. He got it when he was too immature to handle it. I don't want to wait. I want everything that you have for me now. Then it becomes a curse and it can destroy your life because you weren't ready to handle it. God, give me all that I can handle. Give me every little bit that I can handle, but God, don't give me so much that it'll crush me. Just wait. I was, I was thinking about the, we're doing this, this warrior contract and a bunch of us are doing it. And so it's a conversation in my house a lot. And that first week or two was really tough. Trying to get out those push-ups and and stuff were really hard, and it was just like, just wait, just wait a couple weeks. You're gonna be so happy you didn't quit. Me and Titus have had a lot of conversations about this back and forth. It's kind of like encouragement each other, but just oh, just wait till summer. How much stronger you're gonna be? How much? Just wait till tomorrow. Just try to make it through today. One more step. Okay, one more time. One more step. Let's do let's do the squats, do the push-ups. Let's get through one more day. And when, when you're doing that or, or you're lifting weights and stuff, you know what? The, the amount of push-ups aren't changing. Or if I'm lifting weights, not a 45-pound weight still weighs 45 pounds a year from now. But you know what changes? Me. My ability to handle the weight changes. It goes from being this two-hour thing that I have to psych myself up for and drink pre-workout and listen to pump-up music to where it's a 10-minute thing. Right? You can just drop down and pump them out. I'm I'm not at 10 minutes yet. I'm saying words are powerful. I'm speaking that hard. But what changes is not the push-ups. What changes is not the weight. What changes is me my strength and my ability and the things that I can handle, that's what changes. And more importantly than the physical aspect, it's my mind. Changes my mind. It reminds me of what all I can accomplish in little steps if I really push and obey. An elephant is pregnant for two years. You may have heard that before. But that's pretty crazy. That the mama elephant stays pregnant for two years. I raise hogs. The best, finest hogs you've ever seen in your life. You know how long one of my sows is pregnant? Three months, three weeks, and three days. Almost dead on. Every time. They have the babies and they average about 10 piglets at a time you know how many elephant has one elephant takes two years to have one baby one of my sows can have an average of 10 babies in less than four months and then she weans it and she can get bred right back after she's done weaning those pigs so you can get two to, depending on how it falls, maybe the third litter, or she'll be pregnant with a third litter in a year. So within two years, a good sow can give you 50 piglets. 50. And that's kind of undershooting. A good sow probably give you more than 50. But a good sow is going to give you 50 piglets. Now imagine that mama elephant if she could talk to this sow. I believe I'm going to be a mother. I believe God's placed something great on the inside of me. And two years later, when that sow comes walking up with a freaking army of 50 babies behind her. These are my kids that I've had since the last time I saw you. And the big old elephant standing there like, man, I ain't got nothing. I've just been waiting. And you got 50 babies, right? And the sow's probably looking at her like, yeah, it's because you're all wrinkly and I'm tight What if I mean? What if those two animals were on social media comparing their lives to each other? Look how productive that! Look how productive that hog is. She's had fifty babies. She got ten babies and ten babies, and one of hers was a grand national champion at Perry State Fair. And I ain't got nothing. And God said He was gonna make me a mother, and I ain't got a baby. Right? That's I mean, this poor mama elephant. Right. You start comparing your life to somebody else's and the thing that God's placed on the inside of you to what God's placed on the inside of other people. You know what? My piglets are worth $100 each. And that's because I recently had to go up on the prices because the feed's so high right now. $100 each. So one good sow can bring in 50 piglets in two years. That's $5,000 for 50 piglets, Right? I started looking up how much it cost to buy a baby elephant. The cheapest place I could find a baby elephant was from Zimbabwe on the black market. I'm not kidding. And that was $100,000, but it's not legal. And that was the cheapest one, and it was illegal, and you'd have to do it. It'd be pretty shady. Okay, so I'm not recommending it or endorsing that in any way. I was just trying to get some numbers for you. (laughs) To prove this point, $100,000 was the cheapest one, and they sell them like crazy. It said they were selling them to Chinese zoos and poachers and all kind of people would buy them for $100,000 for every baby elephant that they could trap. Now, if you're doing it on the up and up and legit, like for a zoo or a circus or something, it said that a baby elephant could be worth anywhere between $1 to $2 million. Uh, They've sold for $500,000, $700,000. For one baby elephant. Oh, it took me two years and you can have a whole bunch of babies in three months. The point I'm trying to make to you is maybe you've been waiting a long time. Maybe you don't even see it yet. But God has placed greatness on the inside of you. And the thing that is on the inside of you is so valuable don't look around at other people and look around at, well, this person's had this success and this person's been used by God in this way. And this person's been financially stable since they were 46 years old. And God said he was going to set me up so that I could bless people. And I don't start comparing yourself to other people and don't jump on social media and look at other people's highlight reels and don't look at other people's callings and ministries and well well they parented their children and they raised them up and their kids in college and doing great and serving the lord and my kid went crazy what like you can you can play the comparison game all day long if you want to but i'm supposed to tell you today that what's on the inside of you has great value That God placed something on the inside of you, and you might be waiting a little bit, but it's okay. Do what you need to do in the waiting. Keep obeying, keep doing what He called you to do. He's been faithful to you, and I'm asking you today will you remain faithful to Him? Don't be discouraged, don't give up, keep on stepping. There is great value inside of you. Don't compare what's in you to what's inside of somebody else or what God's doing in your life to what God's doing in somebody else's life. I know it seems like a long time. And God doesn't seem to be working, but he is. 2 Peter 3. Um, oh, I don't think I gave that one to you, did I, Sayla? That's Okay. My bad. 2 Peter 3 8 says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. But everyone to come to repentance. Everyone to change. Saying, hey, remember, man, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. Don't, don't get so caught up in your timeline. I thought I would have seen it by now. And man, God's so much bigger than today and tomorrow and your last 15 years of your life. or... God's so much bigger than that. God's not slow. God's plan is that everyone would repent, that everyone would see the light, that everyone would change. And so when's the perfect time? And when can you handle it? And when is your world ready to receive what he wants to birth in you? So keep trusting. Don't give up keep walking keep stepping I want you to know as I, as I close this thing out that the God that you're waiting for he's pursuing you you feel like you're waiting on God and he's after you I was gonna I was gonna turn there and read you the story in Acts, but I think I'll just tell you the story if you want to go read it it's in Acts chapter one um really that whole first chapter, but in Acts chapter one it's after Jesus died and he resurrected and he came back and he shows himself to the apostles, and to the disciples, and and Jesus said, hey, like, this is what I want you to do, and he gives them the great commission, and he tells them, I want you to reach the whole entire world, and tell them what happened here, and tell them that I died for their sins, right, and it's right before he ascended up into heaven, and he said, but wait, wait on the Holy Ghost, because you're going to need his power, you don't have everything that you need yet, I've already died on the cross, and I paid for your sins, right, you're saved, Your salvation is taken care of, but wait, you don't have everything that you need yet to spread this gospel around the whole entire world, starting in Jerusalem and then in Judea and then in Samaria and then the uttermost parts of the world, but wait, just wait until I give you the power that you need. We know that that was the the Holy Ghost, and you'll see in Acts 2, if you go read it, that that's when the Holy Ghost came in and sat on their heads like tongues of fire They received the Holy Ghost, and then they went and spread the gospel to the whole entire world. But Jesus said, I need y'all to wait. How long? He didn't say. Just wait. And so I wrote down four things that the apostles did while they were waiting. Jesus said, wait. So you know what they did immediately? Gathered. Exactly like that wait word we just read in Isaiah. They gathered. They all got together and went to the upper room hey, let's get together. Let's get connected. Let's connect to the community. Let's, let's go to church. Right, let's all get together. They gathered together. The second thing they did is, it says they prayed earnestly. They prayed nonstop. They prayed consistently. Have you been praying about that thing that you feel like you're waiting for? Not just one time. Not like, oh, yeah, I did pray about that back in 2020 when we were stuck in the house. I didn't have much to do. Have you actually prayed about it earnestly and consistently? Have you, have you been seeking God on it? And not just telling him everything, but giving him a chance to speak back? Having a little time, or maybe writing something down. Have you prayed about it? That's what they did. They prayed earnestly. The third thing they did, they prepared. While they were waiting, all Jesus told them was just wait. And this is what they did. While they were waiting, you can go read it. They said, hey, Judas is gone. He betrayed Jesus and then he hanged himself. So we need to replace him. Like, what do we need to do? Because apparently Jesus thought we needed 12 guys, and now we only got 11 of us, so we need to replace him. And so they said, well, what should we do? Let's pick somebody that's been with us the whole entire time from when Jesus got baptized by his cousin John through the whole ministry that's seen all the miracles and heard all the teachings that Jesus taught us. Who do we have that fits that bill? And they're like, oh, we got two guys. One named Matthias, he fits that bill, and this other dude named Justice, he fits the bill. They said, all right, it's going to be one of them two. Now what? Hey, God, which one is it? Meanwhile, there's 120 disciples in the room at the time, and they narrowed it down to two that are going to get to take the place of Judas as one of the 12. And so they're like, all right, let's draw straws. It's like the equivalent of rolling dice. If we get a six, it's Matthias. If we get a four, it's justice. And Matthias wins when they draw straws, and so they appoint him as the new disciple to take Judas's place. They were getting prepared. Jesus had a big call. Jesus gave him a big dream. Jesus said, hey, y'all are going to go to the whole entire world. So, you know, some of them, depending on how you think and your personality, they're probably already trying to split that up. All right, I got a little pie chart here. And we're going to be a lot better off if we had 12 of us instead of 11 of us because this... That's a lot when we're talking about the whole world. So let's go ahead and get prepared and let's go ahead and replace him. Even though Jesus didn't specifically say that we need to replace him, let's go ahead and replace him. They were being prepared for what was to come. For the call that God had placed on their life, they were like, hey, we're going to need help with this. We're going to need somebody else. So let's set somebody in place. What if he doesn't work out? Oh, we'll set somebody else in place. Let's do something. Let's be prepared. The last, the fourth last thing that I saw the disciples did, it says that they were connected and they were in one accord. And then the Holy Spirit came in. And what does that mean? It means they found their place. You know, we've talked a lot about about being gathered but not assembled. Like a puzzle that's all gathered in the same box, but you can't see a picture until it's assembled. So not just showing up, not just gathering into the upper room, but then finding your place and connecting and giving what you have to give and receiving from the other people what they have to give. And then that's how we see a clear picture of God is when we assemble. They were assembled. So they gathered, they prayed, they prepared. And they were connected. And through that group, the world was changed. I will. I shall. I must. I've been praying that lately. When I'm tired, or when I think I have too much on my plate, or when I don't know if I can handle what's coming. I tell myself, I will, I shall, I must. You know, the best thing about every place that you will ever go in your life is that God's there. His presence is with you. We see it throughout Scripture, and the whole point of this whole thing is relationship. Relationship with Him. That's why He created us, so that we could be in relationship with Him. So the best thing about every place is the journey. The best thing about every place that you'll ever go in your life is that God is with you. We're in Exodus 33 when Moses said, Hey God, the promised land sounds awesome. I'm paraphrasing. Promised land sounds awesome, God, but if your presence isn't gonna be there, we don't wanna go. Yeah, you know, if if your presence isn't gonna be there, I'd kind of rather stay in the desert because I, I've learned enough over these years and years and years of waiting, and I've learned enough to know that it's not about the place where we're headed. It's not even about the final destination or the promised land or the houses or the milk and honey and the stuff and the food and the cars and and the job and the career and the finance. Like, God, I've matured enough to realize it's not even about all that. So if your presence isn't going to be there, I don't even want to go. I'd rather stay in the desert with you than to live in one of the palaces in the promised land and have milk and honey. That was Moses' heart. God, if your presence isn't going, I'm not going either. See, when the promised land becomes less important to you than his presence, you'll start to say things like that. Don't even ask me to go to the land of the promise if your presence won't be there. Hey, Dad, where are we going next? As long as you're going, I'm there. Because it's about relationship with you. And with your body. With the people that I'm connected to. So I don't mind waiting. Because I enjoy the process. I don't mind waiting because He's with me there. His presence is with me even in the waiting, and even in the mundane steps of obedience. He is with me. Even if I make my bed in hell, He's with me there. And that's my reward. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for speaking to our hearts and our minds. God, thank you for changing us. Thank you for changing the way we think. God, help us to change our perspective and our view even on waiting. Because there's some of us that are in a hard season right now. There's some of us that are going through some hard things. There's some of us that are in some places that we probably wouldn't choose. But you're working. And so, God, we can choose to yield to you. And to let you work. And we can choose to be obedient. And do what we can do. So that we can handle what you have for us. God, we love you so much. We want to be your mature sons and daughters. Help us to show you to the world around us. Help us to have patience. We love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name. Amen.